0: Good morning. So good to see you all on this beautiful summer day. And uh, let me just say what a a pleasure it was to see our kids camp this past week, to see all the kids and the parents in here, and to be able to share with them. And uh, what a blessing it was. Pastor Verna, thank you. And, and to... Our amazing uh, young people who were giving such leadership in this camp—it was—it was such a, such an encouragement to to me, to see uh, what God was doing in this camp and how many uh, people we had, who are from our neighborhood who've never had any church experience at all. It was—it uh, was a great blessing. Um, I don't know about you, but I I, I remember having a lady uh, speak with me and telling me how disappointed and discouraged she was because she had, uh, in her workplace, she had had worked hard, she'd been diligent, her performance reviews were always like right up there, and um, whenever there was an opportunity uh, for promotion, she didn't get it. And she was discouraged. Time after time, a newer person would come in, and, and she, she knew she worked hard. They affirmed her. And, and she felt really discouraged. You ever felt like that? That competitively you've done well, but you're not getting ahead. And that feels tough, doesn't it? Uh, you're on a sports team, um, your, your team is choosing the final players. And you get cut. And the coach's son gets on the team. And you know he's not as good. You've been diligent. And you feel like it's not fair. It's not fair. I think what even seems more unfair at times is this. When, when it seems like God is being unfair to us. When we live a good life, an exemplary life. Uh, we try with all our heart to please God. No, we're not perfect. But with integrity, we really seek to please God and to live for Him and to honor Him in our life. And the problem is, sometimes when we do that, it seems like we don't get ahead. In fact, it seems like we're going behind. And that's kind of tough. Uh, when we look at somebody else in the workplace, and, and uh, they fudge on their timesheets, they fudge on their expense accounts, uh, they they uh, steal time from the company. They take some stuff at times. And, and you've tried to be a stand-up person and to represent God well and Jesus Christ. And, and you seem to be going behind and other people seem to be going ahead. And it, it makes you ask the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it to live my life for God, to see people who have no regard for God, moving ahead in different ways, or when your neighbor uh, just does a major, huge, multi-multi-thousand-dollar renovation in their house, tens of thousands of dollars, and buys a brand-new 5-series BMW. And you had the brakes go on your nine-year-old vehicle, and you had to put that expense um, on your uh, line of credit. And it sure seems like, man, I don't know whether living for Christ is worth it. You work hard for your employer, but you weren't rewarded. You worked hard, but it seems like other people got ahead. You lived a clean life. You cared for others. You served faithfully in your local church. You gave generously. You're an upstanding couple, and you long to have a child, and you tried And tried and tried. And you went and saw the specialist and you you had various treatments and you still couldn't conceive and your heart was broken. And here's a woman who was in high school with you, a woman who slept around, a woman who was doing drugs all the time, a single mom, and here she is pregnant. And you're thinking, does it really count if I'm going to follow God is it, is it going to mean anything to me? Because it sure seems like God is favoring people who don't favor him, who don't honor him. And we think to ourselves, it's not fair. I look at that guy and all the things he's got and I look at my charitable receipt and I see all the money that I put it that I could have used for myself. And this guy's getting ahead. and I'm not. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like maybe God has cheated you a little bit? Maybe you've tried to live for him but didn't seem like it was paying off in your life. If you've felt that way, you're not alone. In fact, people down through history, God's people, have, um, have been challenged with that. And uh, I think of somebody like Jeremiah the prophet who all he did was be faithful to God what happened to him. I was put into prison. He was thrown in a cistern and left in there. He was mocked. He he was belittled. Yeah, was it it worth it following God? Mm. The apostle Peter is confronted with a a rich young ruler that came to Jesus. And uh, this guy said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And he was loaded. He had all kinds of money. And and Jesus said, well, you tell me. Uh, keep the commandments. Oh, I've kept all the commandments since I've been a kid. You know, I'm, I'm good with that. And Jesus put his finger in this man's life somehow. And he said, okay, um, how, about, how about this? How about you sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me? And the man went away sad because he had much wealth. Jesus never asked anybody else to do that. And, and when he went... The disciple Jesus said this, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. And the disciples are blown away and they go, wow, who then can be saved? I mean, if it's this tough, who can be saved? And Jesus responded, with God, all things are possible. And the disciples looked at each other and Peter said, hey, Lord, what about us? Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What's in it for us? You ever felt like that? Like, what's in this for me? Does it really pay off to follow God? Uh, You may have felt that way. There was another person in the Bible that very much felt that way. His name was Asaph. And Asaph had exactly those feelings that you have. You know, that kind of confusion, that, that kind of... Being hurt, like, like Lord, I'm trying to follow you, but everybody else is getting ahead. Um, Asaph was, um, he was a stand-up guy. He was like the worship leader in the temple. He was a professional musician. He was in the court under David. He was was a worship leader. He was a choir director. He was the head over the music ministry. He was a big-time religious figure in Israel. And he was confronted with a similar kind of dilemma. He was experiencing a crisis in his faith. And he was asking, does it really pay to serve God? Does it really pay? And, And so Asaph is going to let us in on his testimony and the journey that he's taking and the crisis that he's facing. And uh, we have Asaph's problem. And um, in verse 1 of Psalm 73, and let me, let me just remind you, if, if you haven't been with us, if you're here today for the first time, we're just launching into a series of messages um, on the Psalms talking about expressing our emotion to God and dealing with the stuff that's in our heart, teaching us how to pray to Him. And um, uh, just help you again. We're in the Psalms, and if you take, there's a uh, a maroon-colored Bible in the seat back there. If you want to take that, it'll be on the screen too, but if you want to take that and basically cut it in half, not literally... Uh, Open it up in half. You may have to go just back a little bit. I want you to go to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. And uh, Psalm 73 begins with an affirmation. The affirmation is this. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That truly is, it means yes. It's a word that says yes, yes. I'm going to say something, I want to affirm something. God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He starts with this affirmation uh, that he accepts this very basic understanding that God is good because he's got a problem and that is if God is good, why is, why is the world so messed up and why are bad people moving ahead? Um, Asaph's experience uh, was to... Challenge that, that they accepted. God is good. The scripture says that clearly. And, and, and he wants to challenge that a, a, a assertion. In fact, this whole situation bothered him so much. He about lost his faith. He, he about checked out of his faith. He, he, he about lost it. And so in verses 2 and 3, we read this. He says, God is good, yeah. But he says, as for me, my feet had almost stumbled my steps had nearly slipped what was your problem asaph what was the problem he said for i was envious when i saw the uh, envious of the arrogant when i saw the prosperity of the wicked he said i looked around and i thought why is it that the bad people are getting ahead and some of the rest of us who really want to follow god are struggling and we're not getting ahead at all He was overcome by envy. He was overcome by jealousy as he looked at the arrogant and the wicked people out there. He was living for God. He was sacrificing in his life. And he saw those who had no regard for God, and they seemed to be doing pretty well, and it galled him. They were living in prosperity, and it hurt him. God, what's the matter here? What's wrong with this picture here? It confounded him, and it was contradictory to all he believed. Why are the bad guys doing so well? Have you ever felt like that? Sometimes I have. Sometimes I've seen, you know, people prospering who are, are just anti-god. And you think, why God? Why? Well, he experienced an emotion, I think of confusion. He's going like, what's up with this? God, I don't know. this doesn't make sense. You're a good God. You you bless those who honor you. You judge those who don't, and and I can't make sense of this. So his confusion, he was perplexed, he couldn't figure it out. I think he was sad, too. I think he was hurt. And you know, uh, emotions are very complex. So, you know, sometimes you're really sad, and then sometimes you think about it, and you get really angry, and you say, it's not fair, it's not right, what's going on here? And it made him want to throw in the towel on his faith. He said, I, I, I was ready to say no to God. I was ready to quit. He had his resignation on his computer already done, ready just to push, uh, to, uh, to uh, uh, print it out and hand it to David and say, like, man, I'm out of here. I don't want to be the worship leader anymore. Uh, God is not good. He thought, I may as well get out of ministry. I'm going to jettison my faith. And he chronicles his faith journey for us as he struggles with this. Asaph wants to let us know first what these people are like. He wants to provide a description, a a profile of the wicked. And and so in the next number of verses, he's going to tell us what these people are like. In verses 4 and 5, he says, These people have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek they're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. He looks at them and, and he says, you know, it, it's not fair. They don't have sickness. They don't have disability. There's no arthritis. There's no, they, they're just healthy. They're fat and sleek. You know what fat and sleek is? Fat and sleek is a good combination. Because if you can't afford to feed yourself, you're like a skinny little rail, right? Right? But somebody who has some meat on their bones, it says, hey, I can provide for myself. I, we're doing really well, thank you. And, uh, and so he, he said, I'm, I'm fat and sleek, okay? It's not unhealthy fat, fat and sleek. And uh, he says, they don't have trouble, like other people, I have trouble. Other people have trouble. The, the wicked people, the arrogant, they have no trouble. Their life is so good. Um, I, I can't believe how good it is. And they're not burdened like other people. You know, we're, we've got burdens. We've got financial burdens. We've got health burdens. We've got job burdens. We've, we're carrying all these. They don't have any burdens. It's not fair. In verse 6, he says about them, their, their pride is their necklace, and violence covers them as a garment. They are proud, boastful, arrogant. God hates the proud and the arrogant. He gives grace to the humble, but that's not what these people are like. Uh, they're proud and they're arrogant and, um, and, and they revel in their evil. They're proud of the evil that they do and, and their violence uh, they hurt other people. They clothe themselves in violence. They use power in destructive ways. They leave a trail of brokenness behind them. And in verse 7, uh, it says, their eyes swell out through fatness. Like they've got bug eyes. But their bug eyes are, like, uh, are, are focused on, on, on the stuff, uh, uh, they, on, on this proud look and this arrogant look. And on top of that, their hearts are overflowing with evil desires, with follies. Their minds are just they're just going all the time, thinking of more and more evil. And in verses 8 to 10, they scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, uh, people turn back to them and find no fault in them. Uh, they, they do what they want to do. They belittle. They mock other people. They speak against God. They strut around like a rooster, proud against God. And uh, they get people to agree with them about their negative stuff. In verse 11 and 12, he says, and they say, how can God know? Is there any knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. He, he's saying about them here uh, that they say. saying... Yeah, God's in heaven. He doesn't know what's going on. He's not involved with God. We can do whatever we like. We don't have to worry about God at all. And uh, there's no knowledge of the Most High. And these people at the same time, say, and they just increase in riches. They get richer and richer and richer. And um, uh, this, is, this is what Asaph is looking at. He's being mocked by these people. Uh, there, there's maybe threats of of harm and violence to him. And they're getting ahead, and he's not getting ahead, and he's looking there, and he's saying, if God is God, and if God would take care of things, he would certainly be responding to these people. If he cared, if he was really in control, he'd put a stop to these arrogant people. And then we have a personal response uh, from uh, from Asaph. Uh, Asaph is trying to respond and figure out what he's making about this. And so in verses 13 and 14, he says this, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. He says, it doesn't pay to follow God. It doesn't pay to keep your hands clean and your heart clean. It doesn't pay to honor God all day long, I'm stricken and I'm rebuked every morning and I watch these guys. He says, it's too much for me to take. I just can't handle it. I can't make sense of it. There's something interesting here that we don't see in the English text. And, and he began by saying, yes, God is good to Israel. There's actually a yes here. Yes, it's all in vain. He says, yeah, I, I, I want to make this surmise, but it doesn't, doesn't matter. Because I've I've kept myself pure. I've honored God for nothing. It seems so contradictory. And I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. In verses 15 and 16, he says this. If I had said, I'm going to talk about this. I will speak thus. I'm I'm going to tell people about this. I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. He said, I could have taken my position as a, as a worship leader in Israel and stood up and said, hey, you guys, let me tell you, it doesn't pay to serve God. It doesn't pay to honor God. She may as well forget about that. He, he had the decency to keep this to himself. He said, I would have betrayed a whole generation if I went public with my thoughts and feelings in this way. It would have been devastating And and he said, it seems like such a wearisome task, I'm so burdened, I'm so tired of all of this, trying to reconcile a good and powerful God with what seemed to be an abdication of God's responsibility and action, and it wore him out, he said. There's a problem with his perspective. You know, when you are in a certain emotional state, um, sometimes it colors our outlook, Sometimes we don't see things really accurately when we're, we're spun out emotionally and we're all upset and we're, we're furious with something. Sometimes we don't think rationally in cases like that. And, and um, he needed to stop and, and step back from this pain and this hurtfulness. He needed to get some perspective. But sometimes when you're in a bad way, everything gets exaggerated, right? You know that, right? Right? Um, and, and, uh, he, you know, we, we, say, we say things like, I never get ahead. Bad people always, always get ahead. They never get sick. They never have burdens. They, that's not true. Those people had problems too. He could, he couldn't see that entirely. He saw it. The prosperity part of it, he didn't see all the stuff that was going on behind the scenes and, and how tough it was and, and some of the things. But for him, no, they go to their grave and everything's fine and just they 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 die one point without going through pain and all this other stuff. It's not true. And sometimes we need perspective. And we need to realize that some of these claims are not are not fully uh, right or accurate. It's like the the daughter who's at university, and she sends an email uh, to her parents, and she says, I just want to let you know uh, that I have a boyfriend. His name is Jason. He's a really nice guy. Uh, He's very gifted on guitar, and um, he he wants to start a band, so he quit school, and um, he doesn't have any money or a job, And he's not working. So uh, he moved in with me. But he's getting over his drug addiction also. And good news, we're expecting a baby. And so I'm going to have to quit school to raise the baby. And then there's pause, 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 pause. And, And then she says, actually, none of this is true. But I do need $300 to finish the semester. And the parents go, oh, thank God. Give her the money give her the money it's perspective right and sometimes we need to get perspective and we need to step back and see the accuracy or the lack of accuracy in some of the things we feel and where it takes us when we get carried away with our emotions we don't see how uh, prone we are uh, when we're down um, the bad is darker and more devastating than it really is. And any good in our life, we just we don't see it. We don't see the good. Everything, everything is bad. Nothing is good. Well, how do you get out of a pit like this? How, how do you get out of here? For Asaph, there was a, a turning point, a moment that would mark a difference in his life, an aha moment for him. The turning point is in verse 17. And in verse 17, he says, This all happened until I went into the sanctuary of God. He went into the temple, and he discerned therein. Now, we don't know what he saw. We don't know what he experienced. We don't know what he heard. Uh, It may have been he heard a scripture, it may, it may have been that he heard something like Psalm 2 or Psalm 1 that we, we spoke about last week, which was an entrance for us, a gateway into the Psalms, where the psalmist says, uh, you know, God blesses the the righteous. It's like a tree planted by the river. It, it, it's strong. It stays firm. But, but the wicked are not so. The wicked are like chaff that... Whew, they're useless and they're gone they're here for a moment and then they're gone maybe he saw maybe he heard something like that maybe he there was something like a psalm 2 that says the Lord is in the heavens and those who would fight against him and his anointed that he laughs and he scoffs them from heaven something he saw something he experienced it may have been he saw the the altar of sacrifice. Maybe he saw an animal being slaughtered for the sins of the people, and he realized that God does call to account everyone. Whatever it was, Asaph grabbed something in that moment. He saw with clarity something that he hadn't seen before. He, he got a fresh perspective, and, and uh, all of a sudden, He had a a different outlook entirely on this. He was previously envious, but now he didn't envy them at all. They were to be pitied and despised. And so he gains a fresh perspective. And he gains a a fresh perspective of the wicked. Look at verse 18 to 20. Truly, you set them in slippery places. Remember he said at the start of the psalm, He said, I I, I was slippery, I was going to fall, I I, I was going to lose it. Now he sees that, no, it's not he who's in a slippery place, they're in the slippery place, and you, O God, set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin, how they're destroyed in a moment, how they're swept away utterly by terrors like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. He says, I, I understand it now. God will judge them. They're going to be gone in an instant. He'll sweep them away. He'll terrorize them. And like a dream. They've been living a dream thinking they could, they'll wake up and all of a sudden the reality is there and God will deal with them and judge them. They will be condemned. And he got this new perspective on the wicked. They weren't winning after all. They were huge losers. They they were they were going down. He he needed to to have that fresh perspective on them. They're dreamers. Asaph needed a new perspective regarding the, the the wicked. How he looked at them, how he envied them, how he thought, "Oh man, I could be like that if I had what they had. If I could do what they..." And it didn't matter. Now he 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 doesn't envy them anymore. He sees them, uh, and and the the picture he sees is not rosy it's very devastating but he also needed a fresh perspective on himself in verse 21 and 22 he says this when my soul was embittered you you know it it, kind of goes from confusion to sadness to anger and you stay angry long enough you become bitter and he says i was embittered when my soul was embittered i was pricked in the heart i was challenged I was brutish, and I was ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. He sees himself in, in his own folly. He sees how wrong he was. His judgment was wrong about these people, but his judgment was wrong about himself. He thought he was justified to feel the way he felt. And, and instead of that, he misread the circumstances entirely. He, he, when he was in the dregs of his experience... When he was bitter and angry and assuming that the bad guys were winning and that God didn't care, he was in error. He was senseless. He was ignorant. He was uninformed. He was wrong. His heart was grieved and he felt deeply and his feelings were not properly informed by truth. And he went with his emotions that needed to be guided by the truth of God. Oh, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, Psalm 1 says, or walk in the way of sinners or stand in the seat of the scorners. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He needed to readjust his thinking. He needed to re, uh, rejig his whole perspective on this thing, a corrective that he was a way out of line as he gets perspective on himself. He needed to be grounded and committed like we talked last week about the word of God. And uh, he needed to trust God and his Messiah. He needed a fresh perspective on himself. But he also needed a fresh perspective of God He thought God was either unwilling or unable to deal with wicked people. He thought that it didn't matter how you live your life according to God, that there were advantages to dishonoring God and and living your own life. He thought that God may have abandoned him, and it was so far from the truth. In verse 23, he says, uh, God says this, I am uh, am continually with you. Uh, You hold my right hand. Here's a picture of God. He says, I thought God had abandoned me. He he hadn't abandoned me. Here he was. He was continually with me. He was holding my hand through that whole experience. It was incredible. He was senseless and ignorant, and he sees now that God hadn't abandoned him. He was with him all along, holding his right hand, protecting him, Probably a lot of you have heard that uh, that poem Footprints," when a person is uh, is looking at their life and they have this picture uh, and a picture of them walking with god uh, along a, a sandy seashore and as they walked, uh, they had this wonderful fellowship walking side by side and and then it came to a very desperate time in this person's life and they looked at the picture and there was only one set of footprints in the sand. And, and with an accusing voice they said, God, you, 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 you left me, you abandoned me. Where were you in my deepest and darkest hour, my, my most distressing times? You, you left me. And the Savior said, no. It, it wasn't that I left you. I was carrying you at that time. And sometimes we think God has abandoned us. And he says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And he needed to to rethink about what it meant for him to follow uh, uh, who God was. And what it meant to follow him. God was guiding him. Uh, Secondly, next verse. uh, You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards you receive me to glory. God was guiding him. God was leading him. He hadn't abandoned him. And and just as in Psalm 1, God will guide and lead his own. He gives us the word and and we're to meditate on it day and night and he'll direct our paths. He'll make sure that we walk in the right path, a pathway of blessing, even though things can be tough at times. And, And he says in there as well, you'll receive me to glory. And there's this incredible glory that we look forward to. That he'll receive us into that. And and so he needs to to focus on that. He needs to understand that God is with him. That God is leading him. That God won't abandon him. And that God will take him to glory. What a beautiful picture. Contrasted with the wicked. Whose end is is terrible. And, And so he says in verses 25 and 26. The psalmist says... Whom have I in heaven but you? I've got nobody but you, Lord. His whole perspective has changed. And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. You are my all in all. You are my everything. I don't desire anything. All the, what the wicked have, my, my perspective has changed. All I want is you. I don't need the stuff. I don't need the fancy cars. I don't need the big houses. I don't need the big bank account and, and all the rest of it. If I have you... Uh, there's nothing more than I, I desire than you. Next verse, please. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You will support me through this. You're, you're my protection through this. Uh, you're, you will be with me through this. I will make it through this experience. And so he closes off with verse 27 and 28, and he says, Behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. Lord, I see it now. I I get it. I get it that that following you does pay. And and for those who reject you and and mock you and and, and in their pride uh, have nothing to do with you, they will perish eternally. But for me, it's good to be near God. I've made the Lord... God, my refuge, that I may tell all of your works. I understand it now. It's not just what we grab here in this life. That, that's not the sum of everything. The sum of everything is what you will do in the future. And uh, I think back to Peter. Peter said, Lord, we left everything to follow you. Lord, what's in it? Is there anything in it for us? And and Jesus spoke back to Peter in in Matthew 19, and he said this to them. He said, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. I see the wicked prospering, and I think, oh, I wish I had what they had. Why do they get all that stuff? Why don't we get that stuff? And God says, just just hold on a minute. That's not the end of the story. The end of the story is they will be judged eternally. They will be banished uh, forever but you will be with me in glory, and you will have a hundred times more than what you could have ever had without me. What, what an incredible, beautiful thing. Uh, Romans, Romans 8 uh, that was read for us, I reckon that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Hey, we don't get it all now, folks. And if you can be patient and if you can trust God, He'll bless your life. But the blessing you will have will last for eternity. And, and that's that's the incredible, beautiful thing. It will be revealed in us. Ultimately, you see, we win. And so there's no need to be envious about others. We take a long view and we trust God. And it will be worth it all. Are you struggling? Are you thinking in your life, what you're going through? God is not fair. Why are you struggling? Why, why do you have the relational uh, problem? Why are you ha- experience the the financial difficulty? Why are you struggling with with? Uh, um, health issues, and, and does God not care? And Why doesn't God fix it? And if, if God could fix it and he doesn't, then he's not good, and I can't stand that because I see somebody who has more money and who's healthier than I am and all the rest of that. And that's not what he said. He says, look, take a long view, and you will be blessed. Let me tell you, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, there's a warning in this for us too that you can live your life merely for yourself and you can can get all the things that you want and do what you want and disregard God. But in the end, it doesn't pay. In the end, you will be judged by God, a God who loves you, a God who, who doesn't want to judge you. He wants to save you. He wants to rescue you. He wants to bring you into his family and give you eternal life and bless you for all of eternity. And you have a decision to make. Will I receive the gift of God through Jesus Christ who died to pay the penalty for my sin or am I just going to do my own thing? It can be a struggle at times, but I want to tell you, he will bless your life for all of eternity. And for those of you who are maybe struggling um, and thinking, is it worth it? let me tell you, it is absolutely worth it. A number of years ago, uh, a missionary couple was returning to North America from uh, spending 36 years in Africa faithfully serving Jesus Christ. They took an ocean liner across uh, to New York. But on that same uh, on that same uh, passage was the president of the united states who'd gone to africa to do big game hunting and he and his entourage were coming back and as the uh, as the ship uh, docked in new york uh, there were throngs of crowds waiting to see the president uh, there was there was a band playing and uh, that entourage came down as uh, as the uh, Hail to the chief was being played, and, and people were shouting and screaming and waving and, and uh, welcoming the president back. And here comes this missionary couple that has given their whole life to serve Jesus Christ. They've got this ragtag couple of couple uh, of uh, suitcases that were held together by rope. All of their belongings were there, And uh, when the president's entourage had been cleared, they went down the gangway and uh, there was no one there to meet them. There was no fanfare. They went to a little hotel room on a hot summer's day. The window was open and that man sat on the edge of his bed and he began to weep. And he said to his wife, it's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair. We've given our whole life for this. And what do we get in return? Nothing. Nothing. It is his discouragement. And his wife wisely turned to him and said, Dear, we're not home yet. We're not home yet. It's all coming. Will you trust God that it's coming? Or are you going to have to try and get it now by your own means? We're not home yet, folks. And my prayer is that you remember that. And that when you're feeling angry and when you feel like God has been unfair and you look at all that's happened, you pause and say, God is good. God is good. And I will follow him. And ultimately that pays. You know, the Bible talks about our inheritance. You know, you have an inheritance In Christ, His Father is our Father. We are His children, and we have an inheritance, and it's interesting to watch the study in the Bible of God's rewards for faithfulness. It does pay, my friend. Trust Him. Let's pray. Father, I just uh, thank You for this opportunity that You've given us to look into Your Word Lord, I thank you for your word and for the corrective it brings. And Father, some of us feel like we're losing out when we see family members and friends and neighbors and coworkers seemingly getting ahead on us. Father, may we say that you are our all in all, and you will ultimately reward us. And we will be able to say like the hymnist, it is well with my soul. doesn't matter what happens. It's well with my soul. Because God will eventually, fully, and finally reward his people. So, Father, draw us to yourself in that way, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.